As I begin this morning, I'd just like to offer another word of prayer if you'd join me. Precious Father in heaven, we're unworthy to be here in your presence. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for giving us your word. And this morning we're asking that you would speak to us with power. That your Holy Spirit would come close to us. That you would move on our hearts in transformational ways. That we would walk out of this church transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's a miracle that can only happen through your power, through the power of your word. So we ask that you move on our hearts this morning for your honor and your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So can money buy you happiness? Can money buy you happiness? Honestly. Is there ways in which money can buy you happiness? Uh, growing up, you know, I learned that, no, money can't buy me happiness. But actually, researchers just recently have proved that wrong because Harvard researchers just this year came out with a study telling us that money does, in fact, make us happier. I'll have to tell you a little bit more about why that is in a minute. But, you know, growing up, I was always wanting to go to the toy store the the toy store in order to get things with my money that I had gotten from my allowance or different things that I thought would make me happier. And I would always go to the toy aisle when we were at the grocery store, when we went to Walgreens or wherever we were, I'd say, mom, can I go, can I get a toy today? Well, my mom was a very smart mommy and she began to tell me, you know what, Zach, if you saved your money, rather than every time we go to the grocery store, every time we go to Walmart, you have to pick a toy out. If you saved your money up, you could get something that would be really nice. Like, you know those remote control cars that your friend Brandon has? The ones with, that are gas-powered and, oh, I could buy one of those? Yeah, just save your money up for a little while, Zach, and, and you'll be able to buy one of those. So I began to save day in and day out. In fact, when it came to my birthday, I began to ask people, don't send me a gift, send me some money, and I'll save it up. And at Christmas time, don't, don't worry about presents, just give me some money. And my bank account began to grow, and by the time I had enough to buy a remote-controlled car, I decided, you know what, I kind of like saving my money, and so I just kept saving the money, and I didn't really want a remote-controlled car anymore, and it just kept getting a little bit more, a little bit more in my bank account until I moved to California. And when I was in California, I began to take up mountain biking. And mountain biking was a lot of fun, but my bike was getting too small for me, and I was riding in the bike-a-thon, and my bike was too small for me. And I found this bike. It was beautiful. It was, it was offered to us at a, a cheap price by a guy who ran a bike shop out of his garage in a neighboring town. And mom... I have to finally spend my savings. I think, I think I found what's finally worthy of all this saving for years and years. I have to have this bike. And so I bought the bike. And don't get me wrong, I had a lot of fun riding that bike. I've ridden it for years. In fact, I still have that bike. It's sitting in our garage and it's kind of uh, broken down at the moment. You know, as years go by, the other day I went out riding with a bicycling group with Ron, and, and one of the guys looked down at my biking shoes and he said, you know what, I had that same pair of biking shoes 20 years ago. 
So I got all outfitted with my bank account and got ready to do biking. And that's the last time I bought stuff for a bike. And you should see my bike now. Leah could tell you about it. She's not sure why we still have it. The seat covers coming off. It, last time I took it to the bike shop, they said, we're not sure we can do anything for this bike. I said, please, you just have to keep it going. This is so special to me. You know, when you put hard work for money into something, it has value to you, doesn't it? When you, when you pour out your treasures into something, it means something to you. You know, it's something special. When you get a brand new phone, you know, at first when you have that phone, it's, it's something that you are really careful with. You're, you don't want anybody to mess with it. Maybe you don't even let your, your sister or your brother touch it or your, your husband. You tell them, no, that's my phone. Don't touch it because you put a lot of money into it. When we put money into it, hard-earned money, our treasure into something, it gets a lot of value in our lives. It begins to have a lot of our attention, a lot of our focus. The scripture that Terrence read for us is in Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's about the only thing that hasn't happened to my bike yet, is the thieves coming in to steal my bike. Because when we were in Michigan at Andrews University, I would ride my bike back and forth to school. And well, uh, four months out of the year, there's snow there. And on the roads, there's salt that they put on the roads. And pretty soon, you're riding through the snow. You're riding with the salt. And pretty soon, your bike becomes a little rusty. So there's some rust on my bike. I remember coming over the California border. They had to actually check my bike for moths because they said that... uh, Anything that's stored outside could potentially have moths. So maybe that's why the seat cover is coming off. I'm not sure. But Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. He says, Don't put your, your hard-earned money. Don't, don't just focus on the here and now, because it's going to be gone. Ten years from now, that car that you really want, you're going to be wanting a different car. Fifteen years from now, that house that you've put so much work into is going to need an upgrade. No matter what we invest in on this planet, a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter to us anymore. So Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. I love the children's story. Thank you so much, Kathy. The greatest treasure that we can have in heaven, the only thing that we can take with us is, one, our character, and I don't know how to invest in that too well, but two is the people, the friendships, the people that we have brought to Jesus. Those are going to be our treasures. In Daniel chapter 12, it says that the righteous will shine like the stars forever and ever. Those who have brought the many to righteousness. Those are our treasures. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in hev- on earth, but in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. But look at this. Verse 21. Don't miss this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you know, I've always read this verse, and I've thought of it as, oh, okay, well, I need to make sure that I have the right treasure in the right spot 
But I haven't looked at this as an incredible promise. I don't know about you, but I want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to love Jesus more. Because Jesus said the full commandments can be fulfilled by loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I want to love Jesus more. What does this verse promise? It says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know that you've seen this before. When you've saved up your money and you went and you bought that special thing that you've been thinking about, and when you invested a lot of money in it, how much of your heart was with that thing? A lot of it, right? Because you had invested your hard-earned money into that, and there might have even been some love there for that bicycle or whatever it was for you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that God is wanting to take you and me to a deeper relationship with him today. I believe that he wants us to love him more. He wants us to be walking with him in a way that is so delightful, in a way that is so filled with joy because we love God with all of our heart. And so when we're following what he tells us to do, when we're keeping his commandments, that it is the greatest delight of our heart because we love Jesus. So how can I take my relationship with Jesus to a whole nother level? If you go to, in the Bible, here it says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go with me to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we find the beginning of a close relationship with Jesus and his disciples. In the beginning of John, it talks about how the John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, preaching about a baptism of repentance. And then it talks about how, in verse 29, John sees Jesus. For the very first time, he recognizes Jesus there, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can imagine there as they're on the Jordan River, and they're, they're looking out through the crowd, and nobody's sure who he's talking about exactly, but he's pointing out into the crowd, and there he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, verse 35, it tells about John's disciples. When they hear John say this again, they must have been thinking about what John had said the day before. It says again, the next day, John stood with two of the disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. There's no better testimony for your life, no better testimony for my life, than that when people hear us speak, that they follow Jesus. That's my goal in ministry, is that when you hear me speak, you'll follow Jesus. Not to follow Zach, not to follow some church, but to follow Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is everything. When they heard him speak, they followed Jesus. So here are these two disciples. They see, oh, John the Baptist has come and he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been baptizing people, and now this is the one that he has come to tell us about, and he's pointing to him saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so these two disciples, you can imagine, they they run through the crowd and they're following after Jesus, and Jesus is walking away. And the story continues in verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? What are they saying? Jesus, where are you staying? Where, where are you going? We want to be 
with you. We want to be close to you. And this was something that would take place when uh, disciples were going to follow a rabbi. They would uh, ask the rabbi, basically they would, they would ask the rabbi if they could be his disciples, if they could closely follow him. So here you have them saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and re- remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So they stayed with him that day. And then it goes on to tell us about how they went and they, uh, one of them went and got Simon Peter and brought him to Jesus. And one went and got Nathaniel and brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And so here we have this little cluster of disciples, these people who are wanting to be close to Jesus. They're wanting to, to live in close connection with Jesus. They're following Jesus closely. But there's something interesting that in Matthew chapter 4, you find a different story. So John chapter 1 is right after John the Baptist has baptized Jesus. He's brought, told the disciples about Jesus and they're following Jesus. And here you have this cluster of disciples beginning to follow Jesus, one of those being Simon Peter. But now look back in Matthew chapter 4. In verse 18, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Wait a second. I thought, I thought that Jesus met Simon Peter when Andrew, his brother, came and told him about him. What, what is this story? It sounds like Jesus is meeting these disciples for the first time, doesn't it? Is this a different account? No. If we look at the chronology of the Gospels. We actually learn that Matthew skips over a significant period of time. John starts with Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record the, the baptism of Jesus, but then they record some of his preaching, and then they kind of skip over a whole section. So I was looking at how long this section in John is, that this time period that's skipped over by Matthew. It's actually over a year. Okay, so Jesus comes, he's baptized, and then for a year, he's going around preaching and teaching, and we see some of those things in the Gospels. But here, in verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, and what are they doing? They're fishing. I thought he told them to follow him back in John chapter 1. Didn't they begin to become his disciples back in John chapter 1? But here they are, and they're fishermen. They're just there at the sea fishing, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They're not known as disciples of Jesus. They had had some loose connections, we learn, in Desire of Ages, that they had 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 a lot of connections with Jesus, but they hadn't made that full commitment. You know, in my life, I'm wanting to go deeper with Jesus. I'm wanting to have a whole new level in that relationship with him. How about you? You want to love him more today? Let's look at what takes place in these disciples' lives. Here they are. They're just fishermen. They're connected with Jesus. They've, they've had this association with Jesus, but they haven't taken it to the next level with Jesus. Until the next few verses. Verse 19. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. 
Here he gives the invitation again. But then he adds specifically, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll take that hobby that you have, that that occupation that you have of getting fish and feeding your family and all of that. I'm going to teach you to make an even greater treasure, and that is heavenly treasure. I'm going to teach you to be a fisher of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at their response. Here they get this invitation from Jesus. They've been following Jesus, learning a lot from Jesus. Uh, They had been at the wedding of Cana, and they'd seen wonderful miracles that Jesus had done. They had grown to love Jesus, and now Jesus is inviting them to a whole deeper relationship with him. And verse 20 tells what they do. It says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. They left everything behind. In fact, it goes on to tell us about James in the next verse. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here you have men who are saying to follow Jesus is worth everything. To have treasure in heaven is worth everything. So they left behind their nets. They left behind their boats. And they said, from now on, it's all for Jesus. I'm seeking first his kingdom. I'm putting my treasure in heaven because I want my heart to be with Jesus. And because of this relationship, this new and closer relationship that the disciples have with Jesus, you find them growing closer and closer to Jesus. Until soon, we find him actually teaching this in Matthew chapter 6 where we were just reading. This is right after that call. He takes them up on a mountain and he teaches them the principles of his heavenly kingdom. Principles that he entrusts to them to be carried to the entire world. And along with those principles is for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, if you want to love Jesus more, he promises you That if you give to his kingdom, you will love him more. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. When you invest in his kingdom, when you say, Okay, God, from now on, my highest priority is to see your work go forward on earth. Then you're going to love his church more. You're going to love to do his work more because you've just invested everything. You've put your money into it. And that's what you're going to begin caring about. I love what it says in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 90 says, Where the treasure is, there the heart will be. In every effort to benefit others, we benefit ourselves. He who gives money or time for the spreading of the gospel enlists his own interests in prayers for the work. When we put our own money into the work, we begin to become more interested in souls. We begin to become more interested in how the work is going. And for the souls to be reached through it, His affections go out to others. You want to learn to love others more? Give to the kingdom. The more that we give, the more that we grow to love. And he is stimulated to greater devotion to God, that he may be enabled to do them the greatest good. The more that we give, the more that we invest our treasure in heaven, the more that we put our treasure in the kingdom, the more that we will love Jesus, the more that we're going to love his creation, the more that we're going to love the people around us because we want to see them in heaven because that is our greatest joy. Just like for Jesus, Jesus came and Jesus held absolutely nothing back. He came and he decided that he was going to take on human flesh through all eternity so that he could save us. He decided that he was going to give up 
everything that he had in heaven just to come and and risk it all in order to save us. And now today, he invites you and me to go on a journey with him of winning souls for the kingdom, of investing our treasure in heaven. You know, for a long time, I, I knew that growing up that tithing was important. But when I went to college, I began to not really worry too much about it because I, I kind of had to make the ends meet, you know? You had different bills coming in, and you're a college student, you're poor, and you kind of think, well, I don't know. If, if I have money at the end of the month, then I'll give to God. But I began to realize that to neglect that is to neglect something that Jesus has promised an infinite blessing to me through. Malachi 3.10 is very clear. It talks about how, how have you robbed me? It said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings, but bring the full treasure into the, the storehouse and, and test me in this and see if I don't pour out a blessing for you that you can't handle, more than you can handle. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you, pressed down and shaken together, and running over. The more that we give to his work, the more that our lives are enriched, the more that we're blessed. The biggest blessing is that we grow closer to God. We develop a closer love for God. But we'll also find in other areas of our life that he blesses. So when I had my conversion, I realized that, hey, I need to be faithful in my tithing. And I even began to try to make up all that, those few years that I missed while I was at college and just trying to to, to fulfill that tenth that God has made it extraordinarily clear that this is a requirement. This is something that I have given you everything, and I'm going to teach you how to live off of 90% more uh, fully than you could live off of 100%. So I began to experience that, and it was a, a blessing to my life. And I realized, well, you know what? When I met Leah, she was giving some offerings, and I thought, you know, I should give a lot more offerings. I don't really think about that too much. Here at our church, The offerings of this church do incredible things. If you look through the church budget, the majority of our church budget goes to our school. It goes to helping students learn about Jesus Christ. So there's nothing better that I could do than to give my money to the church budget and know that it's going to help a a young person learn about Jesus. And if I neglect that, I'm, I'm losing a blessing myself, a blessing that I could have by giving to that. So I began to, to give a little bit more. And, and recently, I realized that it, as we're upping our budget and we're wanting to help our school out more here, that we really needed to be giving more. And so I talked to Leah about a month ago, and I said, you know what? Let's up how much we're giving to the local church budget. You know, if, if we're really expecting to, to meet this church budget, if we're really expecting to, to be able to move forward as a church, then, then let's give more. Something that I learned back in, a few years ago when I was at camp meeting, and we were praying about the evangelism offering and how much to give to that, is that God wants to supersede our expectations. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 has an incredible promise for those who give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is taking a farming principle. It's obvious that the, the less seed you put out, the less you're going to get back from it, right? 
says, he who sows sparingly is also going to reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The more that you throw that seed out as a farmer, the more that you have seed going out, the more crops that you're going to have coming in. Then verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God, what? Loves a cheerful giver. Do you want to experience more of the love of God in your life? Then give. The more that I give, the more that God can lavish his love into my life. And the more that I love God, because that's where my treasure is. My treasure is in his kingdom. And all I'm thinking about is investing in what Jesus is concerned about. But then it goes on to say this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. How much does that include? Everything, right? You can have abundance for every good work. You're going to have plenty. If you give, you're going to have plenty. So I've begun to pray a new prayer. And that is this. God, would you help me to give more? I used to pray, God, how much do you want me to give? You know, it's kind of a begrudging thing. Like, God, how much do I have to give? I know 10% do you. How much offerings do I have to give you, God? But I've realized... I want to go on a journey with God of investing more in his kingdom, of saying, God, would you help me to give you more? Would you enable me? Your promise is really clear here that that you're going to give me an abundance for every good work. So can I give everything and you're going to just provide for my needs? Ask God, would you help me to give more? And let him determine what that looks like. Over the next two weeks, Leah and I are going to share some experiences with you of how God's taking us to a different level in our giving and how we've seen him provide for us in ways that we never expected. I promise you, you cannot outgive God. God again and again just lavishes his blessings in your life. Leah and I got married back, uh, let's see, it was almost eight years ago now. And before we got married, we took some marriage counseling. And one of the tests that they had us take, or that we ended up taking on our own, describes the different love languages that, that you need in order to communicate. Have you ever taken that test before? There's some five different love languages that it mentions. Well, as Lee and I were talking about our relationship, she, she told me at one point, I think it may have even been earlier on when we were dating, she said, you know, the most important thing, the most valuable thing to me is quality time. If we can spend that time together, that's what fills me up the most. And there were some other things too, like uh, words of affirmation, words, words that are loving, and those kind of things were, were what really spoke to her heart. But she said, you know, if, if that's going on, I really don't care that much about the gifts that are being given to me, or, or you know, that stuff isn't that important to me. So I thought, well, great. I don't have to worry about gifts. And I, don't get me wrong, when it was a special occasion, you know, your anniversary or, or you have Valentine's Day or Christmas, you've got to give them something. But, okay, so women, let me give you a, a picture of what a guy thinks when he walks into a store. And he sees flowers there that aren't like these flowers that will last a really long time. But he sees these flowers that, that cost at least $20 
probably more like 40 or $50, and to know that those flowers are going to be dead in a couple of weeks because it just seems like such a waste to a guy. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe every guy doesn't feel that way. But, but I, I thought, you know, I'll do it for special occasions, but I don't need much more than that. And, and little gifts, she said those don't really matter. Well, I think it was about a, a year or two ago that we took the test again. And I guess you can change in your love languages, especially if you're one of those areas is being neglected. Well, it came out really high on gifts, and I realized, oh, she does appreciate when I give her gifts. I better work on this a little bit more. Maybe I should start randomly getting a gift when I'm at the store and bringing it home to her. And you know, it did help in our love relationship, but you know what's even better? It helped me to love her more. To walk through the store and think, you know, I'm just going to surprise her. And I'd get so excited about it. I'd get home and I'd, I'd have it all ready for her. And I couldn't wait till she walked in the door so that I could give her something. And that was the happiest thing to me. That Harvard study this year actually came to find out that you can buy happiness. The way that you can buy happiness is by giving. They found that, that those who are the happiest, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor so much as it matters how much you give your money away. That's the happiest thing they found is that the more you give, the happier you're going to be. Jesus told us that years ago. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more you give, the happier you're going to be. When you give to this church, you give to things like Vacation Bible School. You give to things like our school. You give to outreach projects like GLOW. You're going to see people in the kingdom because you've given. And there's nothing better than that. Throughout eternity, to have a person walk up to you. Imagine that a person comes and they're baptized. Their name is, say, Freddie. And, and Freddie comes up to you and says, hey, I'm here in the kingdom because you gave. You gave to that local church budget. And from that, evangelism took place. And because of that, I came to know about Jesus. Imagine that 10 years later, he comes up to you again and says, hey, by the way, I just wanted to let you know that I'm still thankful for how you gave and I'm here because of it. But then imagine a hundred years later and he comes up to you and he says, oh, by the way, I'm still praising Jesus for what he did through you and having me to give. I'm here because of what you've done. Oh, but it keeps on going thousands of years later, a hundred thousand years later, as he comes up to you and says, I still just want to say, I am incredibly thankful for what you did. Nothing compares to having treasure in heaven. Nothing that this earth can offer will ever last that long. Nothing is of that kind of value as to invest in the kingdom of heaven. So I want to thank you. Because a lot of you are investing heavily in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven because of you that you're going to be surprised about. I bet a lot more of you have 12 stars in your crown than you realize because of what you've given and the difference that that has made in this community, the difference that that has made in people's lives, the difference that it's going to make through Vacation Bible School this coming week. And I invite you as you go out to grab a flyer for Vacation Bible School and pass it out to your friends, your neighbors, and your community. Let them know that they can come here to learn about Jesus because to invest in the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. In Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, it says, The reward of whole-souled liberality is the leading of mind and heart to a closer fellowship with the Spirit. 
you want to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit, then lay up treasure in heaven. Do you want to love Jesus more? Then lay up more treasure in heaven. Have you been wondering, how could I have a deeper relationship with Jesus? I just feel like I'm at this stopping point and I just, I, I want to go deeper, but I don't know how. Try giving out of the cheerfulness of your heart and watch as God lavishes his love on you. There's nothing like laying up treasures in heaven. As I pray to close, I just want you to pray in your own heart and to say, God, would you give me the ability to give more? Would you enable me to give more than I ever thought? Would you call me to something that, that stretches me, that I don't even think I can accomplish, that, that maybe doesn't make sense from my bank account or my salary? Would you enable me to give to your kingdom because I want treasure in heaven? And most of all, I want to love you more. Let's pray together. Father, we really do want to love you more. We really do want to do whatever it takes to have a deeper love in our heart for you and for this community, for the people around us. So God, we invite you to challenge us to give more than we thought was even possible. Lord, maybe we've been in the habit of giving a certain amount and we've thought that that was all that was possible, but we serve the God who is able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things we may have sufficiency for every good deed. Lord, we've seen it in the lives of the disciples that as they chose to give up all to follow Jesus, that they had such a closer relationship with you. So God, we want to lay up treasure in heaven. We want to lay up more treasure in heaven than we've already been doing. We want to invest in your kingdom because that alone will last. We want to have happiness that is lasting happiness. And we want to have the love of Jesus burning in our hearts. Oh God, hear our prayers this morning as we lift our hearts to you and ask you to reveal to us how we can possibly give more to your kingdom, how we can invest more fully in seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because nothing else really matters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.